morning. I had to chuckle a little bit at Nate, um, Nate's video because he seemed equally excited about uh, writing songs and spring cleaning. And I wonder if that's really the case. What do you think? <laughs> uh, two wonderful opportunities. Though. Um, I just think we're going to be like Maverick City or Monster Mob or, or Worship Mob, not Monster Mob. <laughs> Worship Mob, you know, everybody's standing around singing that song God gives us. I'm excited about that. Well, like uh, Nate said, we're kind of right in the middle of our rescue series. And uh, to speak of a rescuer is to imply that one needs rescued, right? So depending on your age and particular genre preference, uh, different images can flash through your mind if you have this idea of something that, or someone that needs an epic rescue. It could possibly be an individual like Anne on the top of the Empire State Building or possibly the Earth in the path of a killer asteroid. That's a pretty epic rescue, right? Or maybe you're more into true events and um, looking at what happens in the past, like a plane landing on the Hudson River or towers falling in New York City. Or maybe it's current events that you would look at. And we have millions of people right now who are in desperate need, right? So I would just like to stop for a minute, if we could, and just pray for that situation in Europe, if that's all right with you. Abba, we just come before you uh, today knowing you are you are God and your heart is beating in, in love and compassion for this earth that you hold in the palm of your hand. And Lord, we just lift up the uh, Ukrainians, the Russians, the Europeans right now that are very much in need of rescue. And we ask that you come to each mother, to each child, to each father, to each person that is desperately searching for a way. And Jesus, we just proclaim over that area right now that you are the way. You are the truth and you are the life. Strengthen those that are helping. Provide a way where there seems to be no way. And we do pray, Father, for your, for your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. <clears throat> you know, there's many different uh, kinds of rescue scenarios. And have you ever asked yourself, how in the world did I get myself in this situation? And sometimes we can quickly find that answer as uh, we're getting pulled over in a 40-mile-an-hour zone, having just zoomed through there at 60, right? So the only rescue we can even possibly hope for is we're going to get a warning instead of a ticket. Uh, where's Adam? Oh. Oh. It's nice to have uh, police officers here, isn't it? Uh-oh. And other times it can be more conflated. Uh, many decisions compounded upon another that's brought us to this need for rescue. And today I want to look at a rescue that falls in that latter category in the Old Testament. It's a story of life and death and life. It's what we see many times in Scripture. This idea of coming to a point of crisis and uh, can go either way. And then we see the faithfulness of our God. 
And for my generation and, and those younger, I don't think that we have been faced with such life and death crises as we have seen in these last several years. And I really believe it's one of our greatest opportunities to lean in to the strength of the God that we serve. Last month for my 60th birthday, I know that's unbelievable to you, right, that I'm 60, but it's true. Uh, Greg took me uh, to California for some classes in furniture painting technique, uh, something I've just uh, had a hobby for lately. And while we were there, we discovered that we weren't far away from the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Museum. And we enjoy visiting historical events. And 1980 happened to be the very first presidential election that we could vote in. So it was on the list of things to do when we were out there. And um, of course, you know, one of the outcomes of the Reagan years was the fall of the Berlin Wall. And you may remember the words of Ronald Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And this is a picture of the Berlin Wall that happens to be at that museum. There's also an Air Force One, the only museum that has an Air Force One, if you're like into that and want to tour one. But Reagan's philosophy during this season was peace through strength. And he stated, we know only too well that war comes not when the forces of freedom are strong, but when they are weak. It is then that tyrants are tempted. Many things happened during that time after that statement. The Berlin Wall did come down, and the Cold War ended after 30 years of tension between the U.S. and the USSR. Peace through strength seemed to be working in the 1980s. And recently, I've heard this phrase again being said, as we have seen freedom come again under attack. This idea of peace through strength has just been burning in my heart all the way back on the plane, just thinking about this idea of peace through strength um, since February. Now, Reagan's thought of peace through strength was based on building a strong military, right, and having a strong world presence. And that plan seemed to work because the wall of communism did come down in certain areas in the 1990s. But is peace through strength a concept that's supported by God's word? Is, is it a rescue plan that God has used or even would use? Now, when I'm thinking about this and meditating on it, of course, the, the strength I'm thinking of isn't dependent on military artillery, but on the God in whom we trust. And so to answer those questions, I want us to kind of settle in the first three chapters of the book of Daniel today. Daniel's a fantastic book. If you haven't read it or haven't read it recently, uh, there's uh, many stories of rescue, some epic rescue stories in there. And the one I want to highlight today is about three young men who take a stand before the most powerful man in the whole world. But before we get to that actual rescue story, I need to give you a little backstory to see how they ended up standing before this man, okay? In 605, the siege of Jerusalem had commenced due to Israel's disobedience to God. And Nebuchadnezzar was a new ruler of Babylon, and he was quickly advancing his kingdom right towards Judah. Now, the custom of that day was for the conquering Babylonian power to take the people 
of the nation captive, the ones that survived the battle. They would take the people captive and they would move them to other areas in their kingdom. And those people would then be assimilated in these new areas, working those lands, uh, you know, paying the taxes there. And they would be part of the Babylonian empire instead of an Israelite or a Syrian or some other nationality. The conquering Babylonians would leave a few people there, a remnant of people there, but they would bring other people into that area and move the majority all around. But they would take the very smartest and the very best to Babylon itself. So here we see in in Daniel chapter 1, four young men, and most scholars believe they're about 13 to 15 years old, and they had been brought to Nebuchadnezzar's court. And according to the verse, uh, verse 4 of chapter 1, they were the best-looking, smartest guys of the bunch, okay? These four young sons of Judah were named Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel. Now, the expectation for them was they got three years to be educated in the Babylonian uh, language, in their literature, in their custom, and their laws. And then they were going to enter into the king's personal service. But this wasn't just a slow immersion from one culture to another. It was to be immediate, and it was meant to be all-encompassing. And one example of this assimilation was their names were changed. They were changed to Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you can see from the screen the meaning of these names, what they meant in the Hebrew, and then what they meant in uh, the Chaldean language. And you notice the attempt of the Babylonians to remove the God of Israel from their lives by changing their names from names that honored Jehovah, that named God, to names that honored their own Babylonian gods. No longer was their identity to rest in the God of Israel, the God of their fathers, but rather in the gods of the Babylonians' age. Another example of this immediate integration was a change to their diet. They were to eat from the king's choice food and wine. While that might sound fantastic, to these four Jewish boys, it was distressing. Because in obedience to God's law, they had followed dietary guidelines that the Jewish people had been given in the Torah from birth. For example, they were not to eat the food that had been sacrificed to foreign gods. And King Nebuchadnezzar's food had been Sacrifice to his God because when you eat the food sacrificed to God, you were in essence seeking that God's favor, and that God was not Yahweh. No longer would their religion even be recognized as evidenced by their name changes and these dietary options. So Daniel, he went up to the overseer and he said, Is it possible that? Myself and my three friends could have a different diet, that we could follow God's laws. And at first, the overseer said, no way. I am not jeopardizing my life before the king to make that change for you. But Daniel says, what about this? What about this? Just give me 10 days. Give us 10 days of this food that we want to eat, and then you can judge and and decide. So at the end of the 10 days, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah appeared healthier and better than all the rest. And so the overseer allowed him to continue with his diet. And as a result, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. And Daniel even understood dreams and visions 
And when test time came, guess who excelled? These four individuals. And the king chose them to personally be in his very own service. What a history with God these young men were establishing. Not only did they have the history of their fathers that they embraced, they were developing their own history with God in this foreign place. The next mention of our fabulous four is in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he wants to know what it means because he knows it's very significant. Only there's a kicker. When he calls in his uh, guys that interpret his dreams, he says, I want you to interpret a dream. And they go, fine, tell us a dream. And he says, no. If you can come up with the interpretation, you can tell me what the dream is. And they're like, well, that's impossible. We can't do that. And the king says, okay, fine, you can die. Well, Daniel gets wind of this because he's on the execution list. And he goes to the king and he says, can you please just give us 24 hours? And he goes straight to Hananiah, Mishael, and um, what's the last one? Azariah. <laughs> and they do what they do when they need an answer. They go to prayer. <clears throat> and sure enough, as they begin to pray, God is faithful. And that night, Daniel has a dream, and he has the interpretation. And listen to this prayer the next morning. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we've asked for you have made known to us the king's matter. What confidence they have in who God is. And when Daniel tells the king the dream, the king himself says, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. They were able to do what nobody else in the kingdom was able to do. And so for that reason, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were all given places of authority and influence in the kingdom of Babylon. So we flash ahead probably 10 or 15 years, they say. And we are in Daniel chapter 3, our epic story. King Nebuchadnezzar has decided, and if you go back and read that this week, you'll see how it's connected to that dream he has. But he's decided that he's going to build a ginormous gold image, 90 feet tall. I'm guessing is that as high as the Hilton building over there? I don't know. No, taller. I don't know. 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he is going to have everybody worship this image. He sets it up in the plain outside the city. He's going to gather all his men in government positions because he wants to test their loyalty, that they will do what he says to do. And he lets, it, lets them be known that when the music plays, they are immediately to fall to their knees and worship this image. And there's a consequence. If they don't worship, they're going to go into the, right here you can see it, burning fiery furnace. 
So three of the four of our protagonists are actually in this story. Daniel, they believe, was somewhere out of the country on the king's business because we're going to see he's going to have his own confrontation with the king chapters later. It's a different king, but he also takes a stand. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also known as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, are very much present. And at the summoning of the king, all the government leaders, surely they go right out there to the plain as they've been told to do. The music is played and immediately the multitude, they hit their knees before this golden image, except for three young men. Well, this is immediately uh, reported to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he, let's read what happens. The Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they're brought, these men, before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Can you hear the sarcasm there a little bit? And seriously, what other kind of fiery furnace is there but a burning, fiery furnace? But he's making emphasis there. It's hot, baby. Well, here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand, called out by the most powerful man in the world. And he's even being benevolent and giving them a second chance. All they had to do was bend the knee. Now they could justify it by saying, you know, I'm going to bend my knee, but I'm going to worship Jehovah when I'm down there. Not that golden image. Or they could say, this is a government requirement. I have no choice. Or my job's on the line. Or my life's on the line. But let's just think, just for a few minutes, what we do know already about these three young men. They're born in Jerusalem, in the city of God, in a culture. Their whole culture is based on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Their civil laws, their religious laws, even their personal hygiene and diet is based on our favorite books, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They're forcibly brought into a culture that stood for everything that their upbringing and their customs and their God refuted. God was removed from their name and replaced with the gods of the age. They were immersed in the language, the literature, the culture, the laws of Babylon, the worldview of that age that was far from Scripture, Yet their history with God continued there in Babylon as they chose to honor the dietary requirements of Torah. And when their lives were threatened by the lack of spiritual understanding in the halls of the palace, they went to prayer. And as they sought God, he answered and their confidence in the sovereignty of God grew. Now here they are standing alone, three men before an angry king who's waiting to hear their answer. Let's see what they said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, 
O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Their answer is astounding. They're resolute. They have a resolve to stand. The king asked, did you do it? And they're like, we don't even have to answer that question. You have hundreds of witnesses. And we're not going to deny that we were standing. But let me do answer the question of what God is able to deliver us. I love that part. I've read this chapter many times. And those verses always move my heart. Oh, my God can, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. These guys clearly knew the Ten Commandments, right? In Exodus, the third and fourth commandment says that there's no other God before Jehovah, and neither are you to bow before any graven image. And even after all those years in Babylon... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are resolved to obey the word of the Lord. And it's not a matter uh, uh, to them of what action of rescue God chooses to do or not to do. These young men recognize in their moment of decision that, that the outcome wasn't up to them. Before them was only the choice to obey or not to obey God. The outcome was God's, and they chose to obey the commandment of God. Because they had built a history with God, which established a confidence in God, resulting in a resolve for God, they were able to submit to the outcome of God. Let me just say that again, okay? Because they had built a history with God which established a confidence in God resulting in a resolve for God they were able to submit to the outcome of God their knees may have been shaking but they were not going to bend in that moment They had the strength to stand. Now, there's no doubt that these young men were in need of rescue, right? But the outcome of that rescue, life or death, was in God's hands, not their hands, and certainly not in King Nebuchadnezzar's hands. Let's continue our story. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of his mighty men of his army to bind them and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their garments, and they're thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell bound into the fiery furnace. 
Taking a stand for God can be risky, even life-threatening. Just ask the Church of China, the Jesus followers in Afghanistan, or even some pastors in Canada. And maybe you've had a time when your faith has been challenged, and it's felt like your hands have been bound and the fire's raging and there just seems to be no way out. And if we had more time to examine, there's so many things in these three chapters that we could find as far as truths of God go. But one that is really clear right here is that there is always going to be a clash between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. They're never going to be friends. There will always be a fight between good and evil, between righteousness and wickedness. Why? Because there is a relentless battle for our souls. And I can tell you that neither side will stop until we draw our very last breath. And sometimes, sometimes it appears like the kingdom of darkness is winning. Like with these three young men. But I want to tell you that's only because we haven't got to the end of the story. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, well, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered, well, yeah, true. And the king says, but, but I see four, four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and, and they're not even hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the sons of a God. Who was this fourth man in the fire? Well, the king identified him. He's the son of God. The rescuer had shown up to be in the fire with them. About a hundred years earlier, a prophet Isaiah said it this way. But now, says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Oh, how we want to avoid the fire. And we do not want to face the flood. But our rescuer, our Savior, joins us and walks with us during those times. It was in the fire that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a personal encounter face-to-face with the Son of God. There's no way that they went kicking and screaming into that fire. You could never convince me of that. Their resolve for their deliverer was was too strong. And I find it interesting that Scripture tells us that they were thrown in, bound, and fell down. And then the very next view King Nebuchadnezzar has of them is unbound, peacefully walking around, unhurt, talking to Jesus. Man, I think that's a picture for us of our own deaths, really. At whatever point that this body is done, 
here on earth. The very next picture is going to be of me walking free of everything, unbound, talking to my Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what follows the moment our death occurs? So what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? Let's find out. He comes over to the door of the fiery furnace and he says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out, come here. And they come out and all the government officials are there and they're checking them out and they saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies to such an extent that not one hair on their head was singed. Nothing on their cloak was any evidence. There wasn't even a smell of smoke. We did maple syrup for two weekends. I can tell you you don't have to get very close. (laughs) And you're smelling like smoke. Not them. And Nebuchadnezzar says to them, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin and there's no other God who's able to rescue in this way. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's just take a quick look at a list of what God did for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He removed their bonds He protected them from the fire. He joined them in the furnace. He got glory for his name. He silenced their enemies, and he had them promoted. I think that sounds like a pretty good picture of peace through strength. What an epic rescue. There's so much to see in that book of Daniel. I encourage you to read it. The last half is some visions that Daniel was given concerning the future that could even involve us. So please take time to read that book if you haven't. I want to, in closing, just talk about four four things that I see that we can glean into our own lives right here in 2022. The first one is have a history with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And how can we do that? First of all, if you don't have one, it can start today by just opening your heart to have fellowship with them. But I encourage you to read the Bible and talk to other people you know who love Jesus and ask them questions about their lives. Remember the times that uh, God has been with you, Jesus has been with you in your own fire, in your own floods. Spend time with Jesus. Talk to him. Go on a walk with Jesus. Begin a relationship with him. Secondly, build confidence in God and who you are as his child. Memorize scripture. Now, I know that for some of us, including me, that's very difficult. But we memorize scripture and we put it in our hearts. For example, uh, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus 
<clears throat> for good works which God, <laughs> which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It teaches us who God is. It teaches us how we stand in being a child of God. Study the Bible. Look for the nature of God in the Bible. I'm doing Psalms right now, and every time I come across something that it says God is, I write it over there. God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is a judge who judges with equity and righteousness and faithfulness. Begin to learn the nature and the character of your God. When you're reading the Gospels, look at how Jesus interacted with people. Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus was compassionate. Jesus healed. Jesus healed all those who came. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And, and write those things down. Learn who Jesus was. And then Jesus says, you, we, we are the light of the world. Because his light is in us. Build that confidence in your God and in your Savior. Pray for answers and direction. And then write down what God is telling you. And talk to people. Tell people what God has done for you. Let that be part of your conversation because that helps them. That helps them grow also in their confidence with God. Thirdly, stand resolved in the culture of the day. And one of the things that we can do as we're reading the word and studying the word is we can start declaring the word. Because it is the church, the, the presence of, of the Holy Spirit here on earth being declared out, the word of the God being declared out through the church that brings a change in the atmosphere in places and cities and nations. Like, for instance, I'm, I'm doing Psalms right now, so one of the things I've been declaring this week is out of Psalms 90. You can take these scriptures and you can speak them out. God watches over his word to perform it. And we are, right? We are his hands and his feet here on earth. We all agree with that. We're also his voice here on earth. We speak out his word. So I speak out Psalms 90. Father, let your work appear to me, your servant, and let your majesty appear to my children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands, O God. Confirm for us the work of our hands. You can declare God's word, even if it's just John three sixteen. For God so loved Logansport that he gave his only begotten son that whoever in Logansport believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I promise you, there is power. There is power in that because it's the spirit of the God speaking God's words through you. Refuse to join any part of the culture that's contrary to God, God's commandments and God's love. Overcome evil with good by being a spirit-filled lover of Jesus. And as doors of influence open before you, walk through them. You don't have to have all the answers ahead of time. The Holy Spirit will help you. It's his job. It's what he does. Submit the outcome to the one who's able to rescue. Study the Bible to understand the sovereignty of our loving, compassionate God. Job 38 through 41, the book of Daniel, the book of Acts. He truly is the one who has all authority. Forgive others as Jesus has forgiven you. 
Hide God's word in your heart. The Bible says we hide in our heart. We're not going to sin against him. Hide it in there so it can be seen visibly in our actions. Peace through strength is possible. As children of God and followers of Jesus, our strength is not in ourselves. Our strength comes from the same place that Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael found it comes from the God of wisdom and might, the God who changes the times and seasons, the God who removes kings and raises up kings, the God who gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding, the God who reveals the deep and secret things. Think about that. Our strength comes from the one who enters the fire with us, the Son of God, our rescuer. You know, Jesus has experienced it all. He walked upon this earth. He experienced the sufferings of sin, and he overcame them all. He's able to walk into every situation with compassion and strength. He is our Prince of Peace. And when we can lean into all that and truly know that nothing separates us from his love, we will have peace and strength. Paul says it this way, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It's written, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life, death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Shaking may be coming. We don't know, right? In Ukraine, it happened. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And in that moment of testing that everyone will face, in that moment of testing, Your knees may be shaking, but they will not bend. If you'd like somebody to pray with you today, we have a prayer room. If you're online, we have a prayer app. Put your request there. I just want to pray over us as as we're dismissed, okay?
we come before you, our faithful God. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to examine our hearts in this moment. Your word says to to find any wicked way in us. We don't want anything to be there that would interfere with your spirit speaking to us. So I, I just come in repentance before you in this moment. Jesus, you said if you're ashamed before men, then I would be ashamed before my father. And I know there's been times that I have been fearful and ashamed to speak forth your name, and I ask you to forgive me for that. And I thank you for this body of believers right here. I thank you for the strength, oh God, that there is in the name of Jesus as we sing the wonderful name of Jesus, the power that there is in the name of Jesus that you have given us. And that is on which we stand. The rock on which we stand is, is the name of Jesus, the work of the cross, and, and being a child of the one and only King, the one and only God. And I pray that you would help each and every one of us. To be in your word more, to understand your nature and your culture, your character more, and to be able to speak into this culture the powerful word of the living God. By blessing over each one here, and that we would go forth in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.